So do you want to be a better forgiver? Do you want to be a better forgiver? Um, that's what we're talking about today. And I, I thought I'd start off by ha- actually having Pafora share, my wife Pafora, share a little bit about her journey in learning how to forgive. Um, so I'm going to have her come up, except she's working all weekend. So she's not even here. But thank goodness for the power of video. So here's a little bit of Pafora sharing about her journey in our marriage, her journey of learning to forgive. I find it really hard to forgive. I think that part of that comes from my expectations of people and I have really high standards. Um, So for the first seven years of marriage, I was holding Greg to lots of standards and was getting mad at him all the time. And I could hold a grudge against him for months and give him the cold shoulder all that time. He could figure out that something was wrong, but I refused to talk about it, and I didn't want to deal with it, so then I held on to the resentment, and I was not able to forgive him. And underneath all those expectations is my skewed view of humanity. I believe that people shouldn't have flaws, and if they do, then they should work on them and just get over it. And so that was the kind of mentality that I was holding on to. Uh, And I don't have much patience or tolerance for people deliberately doing things over and over. So that didn't help. Um, Whenever Greg would do something that I didn't like, then my first thought was, you should know better. Followed immediately by, and you don't deserve my forgiveness because you don't really understand what you did wrong. And you're not about to admit that what you did really hurt me. And so basically I was saying that, my forgiveness of him depended on his seeing things my way and his changing uh, his behaviors. And then I would have to wait to see if he really was going to change before I could forgive him. So basically, I struggle to believe because deep down, I think that I'm better than other people. Uh, and if I forgive them too easily, then I'm also going to be letting them off the hook too soon. And I'm allowing them to stay in their sin or in their behaviors that I don't like. So when I don't forgive Greg, I'm basically saying to him, Hey, you don't deserve my forgiveness unless you're really sorry. And by the way, I'm doing you a favor because I don't want you to stay in your sin or your hurtful behaviors. And so I actually think I'm doing him a favor. So there you go. So that's her thoughts. What about you? What about you? What makes it hard for you to forgive? So let me know if you've said or thought any of these things. Well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They hurt me too much. I don't want to forgive them. If they show me that they'll change, then I'll forgive them. Or how about if I forgive them, I'll just be taken advantage of again. It's just giving them permission to do it again to me. Or maybe if if I forgive, I'll lose power over them. Because as long as we know they're wrong, it makes me right. Or it makes me better. Any of those sound familiar for any of you? I'm guessing yes. I'm guessing somewhere 
all of us have said one of those things in, in our head. Because the truth is, there are all kinds of reasons not to forgive. There are plenty of reasons not to forgive. But the challenge is, can we possibly find a reason we should forgive? What reason could be convincing enough to break through all of those reasons not to forgive? Because there are plenty of them, and, and we, we make them up in our head all the time. So what reason could possibly be convincing enough to break through any or all of those? Well, the good news is Jesus answers that question. He actually answers the question of what reason could possibly be convincing enough to break through all of our reasons not to forgive. But before I get to that, I, I want to make a little aside comment. And, and I, I say this every time that I talk about forgiveness because I want to be sensitive to some of you. Some of you have had horrible, horrific things done to you. You have been raped. You have been abused. You've been neglected. And you have no interest whatsoever in forgiving. So, if that is you right now, I want to say three things. I want to say three things. First, God's heart is broken over what happened to you. That's really important for you to know that. That God's heart is broken over what happened to you. Second, God wants to free you from your pain, your guilt, and your shame. All of those that you carry with you from what happened to you, God wants to free you from those. And third, forgiveness is for you, not them. Forgiveness is for you, not them. So keep that in mind. If forgiveness is something that just kind of makes your skin crawl and it gives you a bad taste in your mouth, it's okay. It's okay if forgiveness is a process. And it's okay if forgiveness takes a little while. That's okay. You've got space here and you've got time here. So that said, let's talk about this answer Jesus gives. Let's talk about this answer that could possibly be convincing enough to counter-argue all of the things we say in our head. Right. What, could what reason could possibly be convincing enough to forgive someone when we have plenty of reasons not to forgive? Well, the answer that Jesus gives is, is out of Matthew 18. Now, Matthew 18 is, is a really cool chapter. It's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book of Matthew. I know that's, that's such a preacher thing to say, okay? But hey, that's what we do. We, we study chapters. But what's cool about this chapter is this chapter is what, known as what's called the community discourse, or kind of think of it like the conversation about community. Because Jesus hits a number of themes throughout the whole chapter, but all of them are about living in community with one another. And I think we all long for community. And I think we all long for healthy community. Matthew 18 is one of the best chapters in, in fact, the whole Bible about living in great community with each other. 
And so Jesus hits a few different themes before he talks about forgiveness. So here are some of the themes about what does community life look like for the followers of God. First, in God's kingdom, status is reversed. It's flipped. The lowest and the least are actually the greatest in God's family. That's the first thing he says, that status is flipped. Everything the world around you tells us, wrong. Flip it, okay? Second, the second thing Jesus talks about is that we need to take sin very seriously. The reason for that is because sin damages community. Sin damages community. So we have to take it seriously. Third, the third thing Jesus says before he starts talking about forgiveness is that when someone does sin, it is God's heart to reconcile. It is God's heart to reconcile. So that's the context where Jesus talks about forgiveness. So now we'll continue. We'll continue starting with verse 21. So you can follow along uh, on your phones, on your Bible, on the screen. So we're going to start at Matthew 18. 21. And Jesus is going to answer a question and then tell a parable. And I'll explain those as we get there. Okay? So let's start. We're starting with chapter, verse, excuse me, verse 21. Here we go. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter was probably feeling pretty good about himself at this point because Jewish literature, rabbinic literature at the time, talked about the, the, that you should forgive someone about two to three times. That was kind of, that was kind of like the good godly thing. So, so Peter's going, okay, I'm, I'm going to like double this, man, like seven times. How's that, Jesus? Feeling pretty good. Well, here's Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of you, if you're familiar with this story, you might have heard it seven times 70, okay? which the reality is in the Greek, we're not exactly sure whether this number was meant to be 77 or seven times 70, 490. But here's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter because the number was not Jesus' point. See, in biblical writing, the number seven represents completeness and wholeness. Just like you probably heard like 666 is a little Satan's number, okay? You know that one, okay? So, yeah, you're like, ah, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to Instagram just that little two seconds of me going, ah, okay. <laughs> so, um, so, just like that kind of represents, that, that's the, the number of the beast, seven represents wholeness, perfection, completeness. It represents, that's kind of God's number, okay? So that'd be his jersey number on the team, okay? So, so this number, when, when Jesus says 70 times seven or 77, it's not about the number. What he's saying here, and this is, this is important, what he's saying is God's people, God's kingdom should be marked by perfect full, unlimited forgiveness. There is no number. 
It's not like, okay, 48, okay, yeah, all you wives count. Okay, 49 men, one more, he gets one more, and he is out the door. No, 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 okay, that's not what it's about. That God's kingdom should be marked by unlimited forgiveness. So that's how he starts this. And then, in classic Jesus fashion, he moves in and tells a story. He tells a parable. And a parable is simply, it's a story, it's a fictional story meant to make a point. So then he tells a parable to make a point. Let's continue. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So, first note here, whenever you're reading the Bible, or whenever you're listening to the Bible, whenever you see a therefore, ask yourself what it's there for. Okay? That's really, ask yourself, when you see it, therefore, ask yourself what it's there for. This one is there because Jesus wants to be very clear that he is connecting this parable to his answer of unlimited forgiveness. So he's saying, okay, unlimited forgiveness, guys, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, therefore, here's a story. Another example, he could have said something like, for example, or to illustrate this. Those are all what that therefore is there for. Okay. So, so this is the setup of the story. Every good parable has a setup. There's a king who apparently has loaned out some money and he wants to settle up. This is Citibank calling you for your student loans. Okay? And, and <laughs> all of them, you get Citibank, you get Wells Fargo, you get, you get the government, all of them are hitting you up for your loans. Okay? So there's the setup. Now let's see how the story progresses. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Some of you might be familiar, other translations translate this as 10,000 talents. Okay? That's not like talent like I can sing and dance. Okay? That's, it was a unit of a monetary unit. Okay? But a, a bag of gold is a pretty good translation of it because this, this talent, this monetary unit represented 20 years wages. Okay? This isn't just like a year's salary. No, this is 20 years wages. So this is a ridiculously large amount. He might as well, Jesus literally might as well have just said like one billion gagillion fulfillion Okay? Literally, that, like that's what it means here. This is no actual amount. I know. Was that sacrilege compared Jesus to Dr. Evil? That's okay. Sorry, sorry, God. So, but it is. It is a ridiculously large amount. And if you ever, like, hear a a pastor or you read a book that starts making an argument about, like, how many days this is, no, forget how many years of, no, no, no. This is a ridiculously large amount. Here's the important part. This is a debt no person could pay off. This is a debt no person can pay off. This is an example of literary hyperbole or exaggeration. If you go back to like your 12th grade English class, okay, hyperbole, Jesus used it all the time. He loved hyperbole. So that's what this is. That's the, that's the setup. That's what the guy owed. And it's, for us, it's important to understand this is an impossible debt to repay. Okay? So let's see what happens next. Since he was not able to pay off, duh, okay, since he was not able to pay it off, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
So this is throwing the guy in prison. Sold off, sometimes sold off to slavery, sometimes thrown in prison. This was actually a pretty reasonable, or not reasonable, this was a common way of dealing with debt that couldn't be paid off. In fact, there's even a section of jail called debtor's prison. That's kind of how common it was. So this is, this is Citibank throwing you into the county jail because you've missed a few payments. So then the guy comes back. At this, the servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, um, here, here he says, I will pay back everything. And, and part of what we sometimes miss in this is, this is actually a ridiculous statement. Think about that. He's going to pay back a billion, gazillion, fulfillion, okay? No. So this was actually a very rash statement on the guy's part. Nonetheless, listen to how the master responded. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, this word pity, we often think of pity as a bad thing, be like, uh, I'll take pity on you, and I'll, I'll won't, I won't make you sleep on the couch because of that stupid thing you said. Okay? Pity is kind of like is a bad thing, but this word, is, this word is actually a good thing. So a better idea, better concept of it, think of it as compassion. The master had compassion on him. So it's a very positive emotion. It's not a negative, this is a pitiful man. No, the master had compassion on him. Canceled the debt, all billion, fulfilling, gazillion dollars of it. Now, the parable shifts. That was scene one. Now we move into scene two. Let's see what happens. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, this silver coin, some of you might be, if you've read in a different version, heard, heard this story, you might have heard the phrase denarius. This was a hundred denarii. So a denarius was, was a single coin that represented a day's wage. So you work in the field, and you all line up afterwards, and the master gives you a silver coin. So this represents 100 silver coins. So what, three months, three and a half months wage? Okay, compared to like 200,000 years of wage. So he finds, this, he, he finds this guy. He doesn't just happen to run into him. Did you notice that? He actually seeks him out. Let's see what he does. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Man, that is brutal. He grabbed him. He choked him. Like, he went all John Wick on this guy, okay? Just went crazy. And that was his response, to grab him and choke him. Well, let's see how the guy responds. His fellow servant, his buddy, okay, fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Any of that sound familiar? It's almost identical to what the first guy did. Except this guy was actually smart enough not to say, I'll pay back everything. He says, I'll pay it back, really, I will. He's on his knees begging. Let's continue, okay? But he refused. Dun, dun, dun. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay off the debt. Now, here is a guy who had a huge unpayable debt. 
wiped off the books. And possibly minutes later, he turns around and has a guy thrown in prison over a very small debt. Well, this is not going to end well for him. <laughs> Let's see what the boss says. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went to their master and told their, their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And there it is. There is the crux of the parable. That's the core of the meaning, is that one who received so much compassion, so much forgiving of debt, clearing of debt, shouldn't that person turn around and have compassion and clearing of debt on someone with a much lesser debt? Like, shouldn't that be the way it works? But the master's not done yet. He keeps going. In anger, notice his response, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Not just thrown in prison, but tortured until he could pay it all back. And, now, and you might be wondering, how are you supposed to pay something back when you're in prison? You don't. This is more or less a life sentence, unless the rest of your family can raise the money. So this is, this, is, this is a horrific judgment against him. This is torture. Okay, now Jesus, as he often does at the end of, of a story of a parable, he sums it all up. He brings it home. Here it is. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister or husband or wife or mom or dad, or friend, or coworker, or church member, or random stranger on the street who cuts you off, unless you forgive them in your heart. Unforgiveness is so destructive to Christian community that God, the loving God, is willing to punish and torture when we don't forgive. That's a pretty sobering fact. That sits pretty heavy. I actually wrestled with whether to teach this story because of the weight of it, but it is the single greatest teaching of Jesus in the whole New Testament about forgiveness. And we have to take the hard stuff. We have, to, we have to listen to the hard stuff in addition to the good stuff. So unforgiveness is so destructive to Christian community. Unforgiveness is so destructive to a marriage. Unforgiveness is so destructive to a family that God puts that much weight that he would say, this is what will happen to you. This is what will happen to me when we don't forgive. So how do you respond to that? 
What do you do with that type of information, that type of weight? Because the truth is, every one of us has wronged God. Because of our sin, which is a Bible way of talking about because of our selfishness, because of our self-centeredness, because of our rebellion against God, because of our desire to do things our way and not God's way. That's sin. Because of our sin, we have offended a righteous and holy God. And we deserve punishment. And in fact, we are all so filled with sin that we have a punishment that we could never pay off. We have a debt we could never pay off. But God loves us so much. He loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. To pay the unpayable debt that you are responsible for, that I am responsible for. Jesus Christ paid that debt. And as a result, we no longer have to cover our enormous debt. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus, your debt is canceled. The books are clear. There is no punishment awaiting you if you have said yes to Jesus because Jesus took your punishment. Jesus took my punishment. So given that enormous cancellation of debt, what right do we possibly have not to forgive someone? What right do we possibly have to hold a grudge against someone else for some small, petty little thing they did? When you line it up to all of the sins you have ever committed, all the sins you will ever commit, and you line that up against what? Saying something that hurts your feelings? Forgetting to do something they said they would do? Really? What right do we have? And that's the point of this parable. That's the point of this parable. But there's a fundamental problem is that we try to earn God's forgiveness. We try to earn God's forgiveness. And many of you, those of you who are Hmong, you're at even an extra disadvantage. And some of you even non-Hmong, depending on the family you grew up in and the church you grew up in, you might be at a disadvantage as well. Because a lot of you have heard a lot of messages over the years and over your life about, about earning God's forgiveness. You have to do this, do that, do this. Don't do that, don't do that. And especially don't do that. Then you're a good Christian then God will love you. Then you can be a part of the church. You don't do this, you do do this, you dress this way, you have your hair this way, and you definitely don't do that like those other people. And you figure that if you could do the right things, you can earn God's forgiveness. But the problem is, you've got to stop trying to earn God's forgiveness because then 
you'll stop forcing other people to earn yours. You've got to stop trying to earn God's forgiveness because only then will you stop forcing other people to earn yours. Because that's what this is fundamentally about. That's, that's God's point. That's Jesus' point as he's telling this story. The difficulty in forgiveness isn't focusing too much on what the other person did to you. It's focusing not enough on what Jesus did for you. We spend all of our mental energy thinking about the thing they did to you. The thing Pafford did to me, the thing my dad did to me, the thing whoever did to me, that I totally forget what Jesus did for me, which is to take a horrible, horrific death of torture and execution so that he could die in my place, that he could take the punishment I deserve. And if that's hard for you to, to accept, which for some of you it might be, we, we've discovered here being as, as a Hmong church that people have a hard time accepting a $5 Target gift card as a gift for being like coming their second or third time. People have a hard time parking in the parking lot that we've reserved for families or even driving up through the drive-thru to drop off their kids close to the building. They're like, no, 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 we'll go park a block away, okay? People are having a hard time. I mean, some of you are having a hard time receiving that. How hard is it to receive undeserved, unearned love and forgiveness? I think that's pretty hard. I think that's pretty hard. But you have to. You will never really be able to forgive people until you receive God's forgiveness. Because the truth is, when you pour over how much God has forgiven you, when you saturate your mind, when you remember how much God has done for you, to forgive someone's little indiscretion is really easy. It's that word that they said that really bothered you, that little jab that they took at your parents, or someone spreading a rumor about you. When you lay that up against what God did, that stuff, man, that stuff becomes much easier to forgive. But you've got to stop earning, trying to earn God's forgiveness. You've got to stop trying to earn God's forgiveness because then you'll stop forcing others to earn yours. And what does that mean for us? We are a community. River Life is a community. This is spoken directly toward how do we as a body, as a group of friends and strangers and soon-to-be future friends, what do we do with this? And it's quite simple. River Life Church, my desire and God's desire is that River Life Church becomes a place marked by extravagant forgiveness. Unlimited, extravagant forgiveness. The truth is, Christians should be the most forgiving people on the planet. There should be nothing that Christians shouldn't forgive. 
And you, you, you want to shock a world that watches church? You want to shock a world that watches you? If, if you're a Christian and you have non-Christian family members, maybe they know you go to church. You want to blow their minds? Be a couple that forgives without reservation. Be an extravagant forgiver. That's what I want for River Life. And the truth is, I think that's what you want also. We all love the benefit of being forgiven. We don't all love the act of forgiving. But we've got to have both. As a body, I want us to be a group of people of extravagant forgivers. Because when we come here on a Sunday, we worship a God of extravagant forgiveness. Join me in prayer. God in heaven, I thank you for your forgiveness. God, it is nothing that we have earned. It is nothing that we even deserve. You forgive us out of your own love, out of your own character, out of, out of your own desire to be in relationship with you. So I thank you, God. I thank you that you give us that love and that forgiveness despite everything that we do, despite all of our selfishness, all of our sin, all of our pride, all of our arrogance. You love us. And it's not about what we do. Lord, so help us. Help us collectively be a group of great forgivers. Let us never lose sight of how much you have forgiven us. Let us never lose sight of how much Jesus did for us. And as we remember that, let us forgive lavishly. Let us forgive uh, with an unlimited number, without fear, without pride, without reservation. And only through you can we do that. We cannot do that on our own. So Holy Spirit, we pray for your power. We pray for your presence. We pray for you in our lives. Lord, and I pray for every person, for any person here who has not said yes to you, who does not have a relationship with you, who has to pay their debt themselves. I pray today they can understand fully what Jesus Christ did for them to pay the debt that they have to pay. And they can have relationship with you. They can have freedom with you. Uh, they can have peace and forgiveness. So we thank you that you are a loving God, you are a forgiving God, and you desire to be with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who forgave my sins, I pray in his name. Amen.